just before we sit down, normally I wouldn't do this, but the 17th Sunday after Trinity, if you don't know what that means, don't worry, but the Church of England writes a collect, which is a special prayer for every Sunday in the church year, and perhaps the 17th Sunday after Trinity is the greatest. So let's pray. Almighty God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. Pour your love into our hearts and draw us to yourself, and so bring us at last to your heavenly city, where we shall see you face to face, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please sit down for our Bible readings. If you turn to um, page 1227, we're going to read our first readings from 1 John chapter 4, beginning to read at verse 7, page 1227. Dear friends, let's love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And if we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know that we rely on the love of God, on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete amongst us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. If anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And and he has given us this commandment, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Our second reading is from John chapter 15. It's on page 1083. And we read from verse 9. Page 1083. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this 
so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. Let us pray together. Show us your ways, Lord. Teach us your paths. Guide us in your truth and teach us. For you are God our Saviour. And our hope is in you all day long. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we continue this week looking at what it means to be a loving community. A loving community is a church more than just on a Sunday, but seven days a week. And if you were here last week, or if you've listened already to last week's sermon, you'll know that I've finished with the story of the church in a village in, called Eam in Derbyshire. And if you don't know anything about this, this church community in Eam in Derbyshire, it's at the northern edge of the Peak District, and it's famous for something that the church did in the mid-17th century. Because in the mid-17th century, the Great Plague in London spread to Eam through some cloth. And the church community decided that they were going to prevent that disease from spreading any further by, if you like, making sure that everyone stayed in the village. They knew what they would do because of that. They knew the sacrifice that many of them would make by being this loving community to one another. And if you go back there now, nearly 400 years later, you can not fail to still see today in that village the significance of their actions and how it's remembered. You can go into a museum there inside a church. You can walk past house after house after house, cottage after cottage, and there'll be this round circular sign saying who lived there at that time and whether they died or whether they survived. And it's a great example, perhaps the ultimate example, of what it means to be a church community that loves one another on more than just a Sunday. And the reason why I know a lot about Eam isn't because, just because my in-laws live about 10 miles away. It's because, as well, Bob Jackson, when he came to spoke to us in February, he lives in Eam. And in one of his books, he tells this story the story of the modern-day church in Eam that, that, that he attends. And he tells the story of his wife. His wife is called Christine. And Christine had just returned from running, if you like, the weekly parent and toddler group in the church centre. There's something familiar. And most of the families who, who turn up there don't come to church on a Sunday. There's something else that's familiar. But Christine saw one mum arriving late and frazzled and made her a cup of coffee the way she likes it. Some of us know what it feels like to, with a baby to arrive late and frazzled, don't we? And thinking her, the mum then said to her, after thanking Christine, she said, 
I come here to be loved. I come here to be loved. Because love is this very strong emotion that is our most basic human need. And he, he goes on to talk about how the fact that you can, you can have lots of great ideas for what you want to be a church. You can have some great ideas about how we want to reorder the building, but if you don't have love, it won't go anywhere. And so in some ways it's rather fitting that at our annual meeting early in the year, we decided that we wanted to focus on three priorities as a church. And one of them was this one about how we can be a loving community together on more than just a Sunday. And so through these, these Sundays, starting last week and running up to the October half term, just about every week we're going to be looking at this theme through looking at what is known as the one another statements in the Bible. The one another statements are about 70 of them. And they're what it means to practice biblical community together. This is what, if you like, the early church, it became the, their baseline for what it meant to be a loving community together. And you can see all of them. You can see all of them on that, that handout that hopefully you got this morning. Or rather helpfully, some of you brought back because I did notice some of you bringing it back this morning. And some of you have got it in black and white. And some of you have got it in colour. The reason you've got it in colour is because someone, I bumped into someone this week and, and they saw that I was working on this particular sermon because I was out in St. Helier and they said, oh, please, can I have a colour version of it, please? So that's why some of you have got a colour version. But I said to you last week, what strikes you as you look at that image? Because some of us are, are visual learners, aren't we? And this was the thing that struck me. It's the centrality of love to what it means to live life together as a church. If you see some of those circles, they represent the, a one another statement that's just mentioned once. Like build up one another or accept one another. Then there's lots of them. And then you get another circle where there's, it's a bit bigger. Because there's two references where it says forgive one another or bear in love with one another. Then there's one where there's three. There's one where there's four. There's one where there's five. And then there's 15 for love. It's so big that it can't fit on the page in comparison to the, to the rest. And that's what struck me. You know, love is the best way to be church. It's the lifeblood to be church. And as I said last week, if you want to understand what it means to be a loving community together, we have to go back to God. Because as we heard over and over again in those two readings, God is love. If we want to understand what it means to live a loving life together, we have to go back and understand how God loves us. And I said that there were these four ways through the Bible. If you know your Bible, you will know these four ways of how God shows love to humanity. The first way I said was that God shows love is to form a covenant. A covenant is a rugged commitment. The reason it's a rugged commitment is because the Bible story is not all good. And there's some, some bad in there as well. So it's this rugged commitment. It's saying that it's more that when things get tough, 
I'll still be there. And that's what it means. The first thing God does to show love is he makes this rugged commitment. It starts with a man called Abraham. You can read all about it in Genesis 15. If you're, if you're taking notes, just write down Genesis 15. You'll start from there. And you'll see how Abraham wants some reassurance. God's told him he's going to be with him. And Abraham wants some reassurance. And so God comes and meets with him in a very vague dream. And then, of course, that covenant goes on. And it carries on through, if you like, all Abraham's dynasty until we come to a time of a man called Moses that we all know about. And the covenant is renewed again on Mount Sinai, i.e. read Ten Commandments, read Exodus 19 to 24. And then, of course, that carries on for a bit, a bit of a while. And then Israel changes again. And then God comes and renews the covenant again through a man called David. And then through the whole Davidic dynasty. And then, of course, it keeps going, and then Israel kind of runs away from God again. And then God says through a prophet like Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31 that he will bring a new covenant that Jesus talked about in Mark 14 that said was coming with his being, and of course makes up of so much of what we call communion that we'll celebrate later. Love is this rugged commitment. Love is, secondly, this rugged commitment to be with. It's all about presence. It's all about presence. And if you notice how God comes in so many mysterious ways, doesn't he? With Abraham, he comes as the the metaphor describes him as a smoking fire pot. With the people of Israel in the wilderness, he comes by the pillar of the cloud by day and the pillar of fire at night. If the pillar moved, they moved. If it stayed still, they stayed still. Of course, when they built the temple in Solomon's days, God let his glory shine in the temple. And when we think about when Jesus came to be with us, what's one of the first names we hear mentioned at Christmas? Emmanuel. What does Jesus say to his disciples in those same readings that we had in John 14, he says, I will send the Holy Spirit to be with you. The last thing he says before he goes up to heaven, he says, I will be with you always. Love is about with. A rugged commitment to be with and also a rugged commitment to be for. It's about this notion of advocacy. If you were to sum up the covenant in one sentence, it would be this. I will be your God And you will be my people. I will be for you. And you will be my people. But the thing is, remember the order. With comes before for. If you don't spend any time with someone, they'll never know you're for them. With comes before for. And love is a rugged commitment to be with and to be for unto Christ-likeness. That's the mean that's the ends if you like the reason if we are this loving community together and we practice that out then all that happens is if you like we become more like Jesus because God is love and you see in each of those not just the big circle of love but if you look at some of those smaller circles you see each time This whole idea of love being a rugged commitment, love being a rugged commitment with and for unto Christ-likeness. You see that over again if you read those Bible references. And so 
how do we then practically move that on? How do we move that on into our 21st century world? What does that love actually look like? And really, it's, it's all about relationships, isn't it? Because love is all about relationships. And so I want to unpack with you this morning one way. I'm not saying this is the way, but it's one of the best ways that, that I've seen. So I'll lay this challenge out. If you've found a better one, then come and, come and share it with me. It comes from a man called Alan Hirsch in a book called On the Verge. If you don't know anything about Alan Hirsch, you've got a mugshot. In the, in the handout there. Alan Hirsch is an Australian. He's an Australian what's called missiologist. If you don't know what that means, it's this. He couldn't care less about church politics. All he's interested in is how the church impacts upon the world in terms of going out, in terms of mission, evangelism, and social justice. That's what he's interested in. And he's a very influential writer in the UK church, in the US church, and in the Australian church, to name a few. And in, in, one, in this book, he talks about a church community in Manly. Manly, if you don't know, is in Sydney, in New South Wales. This church is not called St. Paul's. It's not called St. Peter's. It's called Small Boat Big Sea. It's quite a cool name for a church, though, isn't it? Small Boat Big Sea. Now, before you say, oh, that's very Australian... Don't forget, we live in a globalized world. But it's the best example I've found of what it means to excel in being a loving community throughout the week. And it's based upon a very traditional object that you find in every church. A bell. And the word bells spells out an acronym that each of the letters spells out how they will live their life together as a church community on more than a Sunday. It stands for bless, eat, listen, learn, sent. It's all in the handout. You don't need to write them down. Bless, eat, listen, learn, sent. So let's go through each one of them. Bless. This is what they do. They do, they do three acts of blessing, or that's what they look to try and do. Could be small or big. One to, if you like, someone inside the church community. One outside, one to go either way. This is the whole thing about when you love as a church community, on, when we do that on more than just a Sunday, when we do that seven days a week, it always goes out. It always impacts the world. It never becomes insular. After all, if you think about the early church, which were the most greatest example of what it means to be a loving church community, and if you look at what the historians write about the church, it was the world saying, see how they love one another. It always moves outward because that is what God's love is like. It always drives us outward, out from a building to other people. And so the first one is bless. You know, when we think about blessing people and we think about the, the circles on page one of that handout, that's what being kind is, isn't it? That's what doing good is, isn't it? That's what encouraging one another is. It could be something big. It could be something small. Someone blessed me this week because my car was, was getting fixed and I was going to have to work my way back, back to the garage and I bumped into them in town and they offered me a lift. Simple power of blessing. 
You know, I was in, I was in a supermarket on, on Thursday evening with George, and we were at the pizza stand. And this woman was looking for a pizza. And she got a pepperoni pizza, but she really wanted a margarita pizza. And there was no, no margarita pizzas left because they were all on offer. And so I said to her, I said, well, normally if you go to the end of the road, they've normally, from experience, got some more there. Didn't think too much more about it. Then 20 seconds later, I suddenly thought, I'll go and have a look for her. So I went and, I went and had, a, had a look for her. Found the margarita pizza. Lo and behold, that she desperately was. There was 10 left, so I picked up nine and gave her the other one. I didn't, but you know what I mean. And she was so appreciative. The power of, of blessing. Here's the next one. Eat. You know, that they will eat together. Three times, one with someone inside the church, one with someone outside, one, well, it, it, it doesn't matter. You know, you learn so much by eating with people, don't you? And they learn so much about you. And when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, if you think about the UK church, and if you think about perhaps the two things that God has blessed the UK church with in the past 15 years, both of them have eating as a central component. If you think about Alpha, something like that. If you think about Messy Church, both of them have eating as a central component. Here's the next one. Listen. All are invited to spend one hour each week in contemplative prayer. Knowing other forms of prayer will be practiced along the way. In other words, starting to learn to listen. It doesn't mean that, that you only pray for one hour in the week. You pray in other ways. But it's actually slowing down and saying, if we think that you can just kind of plug into God for 10 seconds and he's going to speak to you, well, it's not going to happen. Not unless your life is absolutely completely out of control and he's going to blast a thunderbolt at you. That's the only time in my experience that it's going to happen. You know, it's about taking the time to listen. Then the next one, learn. It's a long one, isn't it? Everyone is expected to be constantly reading and rereading the Gospels, be reading another book of the Bible, Old or New Testament, be reading the best books in any category, fiction or non-fiction, Christian or not, but only the good material. Everyone gives up trashy magazines. What do you think that one? You know, there are so many trashy magazines out there, aren't there? Aren't there? Yes, there are. The reason why I know is because yesterday I had to get some medicine from the food hall in St. Juan. And you know when you get any medicine from there, just next to it is the magazine stand. And I'm not talking about the stuff that they don't now allow you to print and you buy online. That's worse than trashy. But you know, the, all, all the trashy stuff about, my goodness gracious me, what was it? I'm trying to find out all about Taylor Swift's dating habits. Don't follow them, by the way. And how to avoid them. Who'd had who, which affair with which? Which marriage was breaking down? I was just thinking, there were six of them. I was thinking, did people really read that rubbish? Yes, they do. That's the only reason they get printed. But look at this instead. You know, as I've said, the practice that I've adopted for the past two years, going back to it after a 20-year gap, was to read this book from cover to cover. You know, to just read the Gospels. You know, we could read so much of the stuff in the Bible in five minutes. You know, if you want the shortest books, 
Obadiah in the Old Testament just about. But perhaps don't read it first because it's a bit complicated in places. Or 3 John. Just simple letters that we could just read over and over again. But notice the thing as well about not just biblical stuff, but non-biblical stuff as well. You see, for me, I was really challenged about this one. I was challenged about this one while, after my accident, because for the first month or so, I couldn't really read properly. I certainly couldn't read anything too heavy, and sometimes the church books that I read are quite heavy, so I was thinking, what am I going to do? And it was as if God started speaking to me and started to say, before I'd even thought about this, maybe change your genre. So for, so for instance, this is what I would have read before my accident. So there's a book there, well there's The Good Rule of Benedict, a bit of classic stuff. There's a book on Crazy Busy that I'd encourage a lot of us to read. There's something on time wisdom, there's something on leadership. I read the book that I encourage most of the children leaders to take, Resurrection Year, because it's a brilliant book. Then I read a couple of books on the $64,000 question that every church minister is asking in the UK. That's what I read. And then, I read this genre. And I wasn't a great book reader as a child. I really wasn't. My mum's here, she'll tell you the truth. But I suddenly thought, you know what, I need to maybe change my thing a bit. So I read a bit of Tolstoy. Or I read a bit of James Patterson. I read a bit of Chris Evans. Some of us might think that's trashy material. But when you've got the biggest radio station this side of the Atlantic, you need to be listening. Then I read this great story. You know, if you're in a book club, it's not a, it's not a Christian book, but it's written by a guy who became a Christian and how atheism is not the answer called when breath becomes air. You know, you can get these in Waterstones, you'll see it in the charts. And then I read, because I'm a great Trekkie, I read this great book about the story of William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy and their life together and how they went from rivals to being great friends. And how he tells the story, and this is true of so many men's lives, that they have no friends. And he'd just come to the stage where he was 83 years old, and he'd lost his best friend, and he suddenly realised he had no friends left. And what was he going to do about it? You see, this whole thing about learn, and then sent. This whole idea that as we're Christians called out into the world, and each of you are called out into the world. And those two questions, those two simple questions we can ask every day. Where did I resist Jesus today? You know, where did I get that email that really annoyed me? And I didn't do what I should do. Or where did I work with Jesus today? Where did I, when given that opportunity, just chose to bless someone rather than going the other way? And then, this is how it works out, if you like, in the three relationships that we have. If you like, our relationship with God, our relationship with others in the church community, our relationships with our friends and our families, and you see it in the triangle there. We always start with up. 
Because everyone, everyone's spiritual health is directly proportional to their love for God. It's all based upon the love that we have received from him that we're able to do any of this. And so, I want us to think, how would my life need to change to make that happen? What would I need to do every day? What would I need to do every week? And we're going to come back to that triangle over the next few weeks and so on. And by the middle of October, we'll come with something that we can say, well, this is what I can do. Because for some of us, that's just too difficult for all sorts of reasons. And just in case, if you want to know what type of church Small Boat Big C is, if you're not quite sure, it's a church of 20s and 30s, predominantly. That's the age of the church community there. And it's something about, what is one practice that I could do every day, and what is one practice I could do every week? That's it. In terms of my relationship with God, in terms of my relationship with the other people in this church, and in terms of my relationships in the outside world, my family and friends, what is one thing I could do every day, and what could I do every week? Not every month, because you never change yourself by just doing practices once a month. It's something back every day and, and every week as to what you could do. And as I say, or maybe you don't realise this, but whenever I preach, I preach to myself first. You see, as I recover from my accident, there's, there's a number of things going on in my, in my head as to why it happened, or that sort of thing. And I have a particular view. Some people have a, have a different view. You know, the important question in the Bible is never why. The important question in the Bible is what next? If you look at when bad things happen in the Bible, you never get the why question really answered. It's always about what next. And so, as I've been trying to come back in since the, since the middle or since the end of August there's been something that God has just revealed and it's this he said look at your diary and so I look at my diary and with the odd exception it's blank because in effect I was off with holidays and everything else for nearly, nearly three months and then God said, part two. Do a few things differently. You've got this great opportunity now where most of us don't often get this opportunity where it's like starting your job again. But it's nearly six years down the line. You don't have to know everyone again. You don't have to do that because you already know and so God has started to speak to me about saying, every day, every week, what are you going to do? Let us pray. God, your love for us is never ending. 
It goes on and on and on. And we'll never truly grasp or understand it. This side of the new creation. But Lord, you've given us your love. And however much we know of it, whether it's just a small snapshot or whether it's much bigger, you called us to show that to one another. So help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.